I would encourage you to take a copy of God's Word now and turn to the 23rd Psalm. In times like these, it is good to go to well-worn passages, familiar passages, and be reminded of great truths from God's Word because they are a comfort to us. And that's my goal today. I have nothing to offer you but the promises of God in his word. So let's go before him in prayer once again and ask for his help that we might receive and be ministered to by the reading and preaching of his word. Join me in prayer again. Our Heavenly Father, receive our praise and our worship as we are spread out across the community in living rooms and offices, around possibly kitchen tables, maybe by a fireplace this morning. Lord, we join our praises to the church triumphant, to those who aren't with us on Sunday mornings because they are before your throne. And we ask that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word as it is streamed for anyone to see. Lord, that you would receive honor, that our eyes will be lifted heavenward in this time. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Lord, we ask that you would give us a spirit of wisdom, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see Christ that we would glorify him and we would grow in his grace. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hear the word of God from Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And that ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. These are challenging times for some The spread of COVID-19 is causing fear. You might be among the medically vulnerable. You might be among those living from paycheck to paycheck. The idea of empty shelves at the grocery store is distressing. It is not fun to have to find creative alternatives to toilet paper. Maybe you are expecting a child this spring or summer. And you are wondering what the hospitals will be like when the day comes to have your baby. For many, these are frightening times. For others, 
The COVID-19 pandemic is more frustrating than fearful. Maybe you had to cancel vacations. Perhaps you had tickets to the Big Ten basketball tournament. You know who you are. Some of you might be planning the wedding of your dreams. Now you don't know if it will happen. Maybe your business was just starting to take off. Perhaps you are a student and you were so close to graduating. Many are frustrated right now because it feels like all of life is on hold. For others, the prospect of prolonged loneliness is scarier to you than potentially a deadly illness. You're a recent widow or widower, and it was already hard enough to come home to an empty house. Maybe you're single, and you rely on a routine that provides you as many social interactions as possible. Perhaps you're a grandparent, and for your safety, you should limit the time you are around your grandkids right now. For many, the limiting of socialization and the potential loneliness is the last thing you need right now. David, the human author of this psalm, faced fear, frustrations, and loneliness throughout his life. You can read his story in First and Second Samuel. And this psalm stands as his testimony of what he learned about the Lord's care for him in the face of tremendous challenges. This psalm addresses the fearful, the frustrated, and the lonely. And so I want us to see and consider David's message to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, under three headings this morning. In verses 1 through 4, I want us to see the everyday care of the shepherd. Then I want us to look back at verse 4, and I want us to see the nearness of the shepherd. And then in verses 5 and 6, I want us to think about the covenant faithfulness of the shepherd. Verses 1 through 4, the everyday care of the shepherd. Look back there in verses 1 through 4 in Psalm 23. The Lord is. How do you describe God? Psalm 23 begins with describing God. The Lord is a shepherd. The controlling metaphor in this psalm is that the Lord is a shepherd to his people. But David in the psalm, not only does he give us a metaphor for what God is like, but he provides us with a metaphor for what it's like to walk with God in a fallen world. He describes God and he describes life with God. God is a shepherd who is near to his sheep. Now David, remember, in his story, as a young man, he had experience as a shepherd. And here, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he brings us this shepherd-sheep metaphor. And it's important. It's important that he goes here because a shepherd has an intimate relationship with his flock. He is with them. The sheep live in the presence of their shepherd. 
And importantly, they can't live without the presence of their shepherd. And so David reminds us of God's everyday care for us. In verse 2, we see that he provides. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Imagine a flock of sheep coming up upon what they thought was to be a pasture, and it's nothing but brown, dry, cracking grass. The shepherd is the one who finds the green pasture. Imagine in a time of drought, unable to to locate life-giving water, and the shepherd leads the sheep to water. The shepherd provides The sheep don't know the way, and so we see in verse 3 that the shepherd guides them. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If there's a fork in the road, the flock doesn't know where to go, but the shepherd, he leads them in the right way. He leads them also away from danger. In verse 4, the shepherd protects. David says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. The rod and staff, one most likely to correct the sheep, the other most likely to defend the sheep. And I don't know what's your opinion of of sheep, but sheep need defending. There's a farmer in our church who raises sheep, and I've had his rack of lamb that he raised. It's delicious. It reminds me of filet mignon. It's great. And wolves know how delicious sheep taste. But the shepherd protects them. He is precious to them. They are precious to him. Now here's the thing. God is the shepherd of his people throughout scripture. What makes Psalm 23 so endearing is that it goes from the corporate to the individual. And if you are alone watching the stream right now, you need to be reminded of that. God cares for the congregation and every person in it. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. The God of the universe not only shepherds his people like a flock, but he knows each sheep by name. David wants you and I to rest here this morning, that there's nothing about your life that is too minuscule or mundane for your shepherd. He knows your needs. He will lead you to green grass. He will lead you to water. Dear saints, he will continue to provide your daily bread. He will give you wisdom for the path of head. In verse 3, David says, he restores my soul. And this is where we see he's thinking more than just the life of a sheep with their shepherd. He's thinking of you and I who are body and soul. Our shepherd cares for our bodily needs. He cares for our soul. He knows the fears, the frustrations, the loneliness that you are facing. But consider this. 
a month ago, two weeks ago, five days ago, could it be that your soul was searching for security and happiness and things other than God? Worry and anxiety happen when sheep forget that they are sheep and they look for meaning and help in something other than the shepherd of their souls. How does this pandemic fit in God's sovereign plan? We don't know yet. But we can know that he will use it for the sanctification of his sheep. If your soul has been drifting from your shepherd, it's time to turn back to the one who has never left you. Part of his care is that he leads us into paths of righteousness. That's verse 3. But as we revisit verse 4, we are reminded that the path of righteousness does not take a detour around the valley of the shadow of death. The good shepherd leads his sheep into the valley of the shadow of death. And it is in that valley that the shepherd draws near to his sheep. So I wanted to think in verse 4 on the nearness of the shepherd. David, in writing this psalm, he goes from speaking about God in such a way, he says, the distant he, God, he is doing this for me. And now he begins to address God. He says, you. The effect is that he's speaking of God's nearness to him when he needs him most. Here is a reminder of God's promise that he will never leave us. It's his abiding presence. But there's more here. The psalm of the good shepherd is a gospel picture. We must remember that as sinners, we deserve the valley of the shadow of death. We deserve to be abandoned there and left there. But the good shepherd condescends and he does not leave us in the valley of the shadow of death. He enters it himself. The good shepherd left the glory of heaven to rescue his sheep. Jesus humbled himself to draw near. For Jesus, all of his life on earth was humbling. From all eternity, the Son of God was in glory and in intimate fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And for our sake, he left glory and took on the form of a servant. He took on our nature. The one who is fully God truly became a man. The God-man entered this world as a baby, and in time, he experienced what life is like in a fallen world. And he did it all from the manger to the tomb without sinning once. And the culmination of his humbling was the humiliation of the cross. The God-man entered into the valley of the shadow of death, or another way we could put it is to use the words of the Apostles' Creed and say, he descended into hell. That phrase in the Apostles' Creed is a shorthand summary of describing Christ's suffering on the cross. On the cross, he bore what our sins deserved, and for six hours on a Friday, he endured hell. In the ancient world, crucifixion was deliberately degrading. It was a torturous method of public execution. 
George McLeod once memorably described the setting by writing that, and I quote, Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral, but on a cross between two thieves, on the town garbage heap, at the kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble, end quote. Jesus hung there on the cross, betrayed by Judas, forsaken by the rest of the disciples, scorned and rejected by the world, condemned by Pilate, physically suffering while fighting the terror of death and the powers of darkness, feeling and bearing the weight of God's anger towards sin, the good shepherd descended into hell. We deserve the valley of the shadow of death. The innocent God-man did not deserve the cross, but he chose it as a good shepherd would for his sheep. He was crucified not as a victim, but as a hero. It was not easy, but he willingly gave his life to save sinners like you and I. In the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, the prophet proclaims, he was wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was for the sins of his people that he was wounded and crushed. We were not a worthy people. If sin is our substituting ourselves for God, the scripture teaches us that the solution to our sin comes by substitution. The God-man substituting himself for sinners on the cross. In John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He enters the valley of death and he becomes the sacrificial lamb. As Donald McLeod put it, and I quote, above all, Jesus must taste death. Not simply die, but taste it. This is why he took a long time dying. He had to walk as his people do through the valley of the shadow of death, tasting the fear of it and the encroachment of it and the power of it, and then yielding himself to it consciously and deliberately. His life did not ebb away, slowly and peacefully ending with a death rattle. Instead, he shouts in triumph, it is finished, and then dismisses his spirit into the loving hands of God, his Father, end quote. Dear believer in Christ, you may be experiencing it now, or you may experience it later in weeks and months to come, but it is in the valley of the shadow of death that you may want to doubt the shepherd. You might want to doubt his care for you, his love for you, his goodness, be reminded of the cross where he lays down his life for the sheep. Our confidence in the good shepherd is rooted in the gospel. No matter what you face in this life, the cross of Jesus proclaims that nothing can separate you from the love of the good shepherd. 
He came near so that you would not fear evil. If you're walking with the shepherd, you can know that no matter what you face in life, the shepherd is with you and will not forsake you because it's grounded in his being forsaken on the cross. Lastly, let's look at verses five and six. And there we see the covenant faithfulness of the shepherd. I'll read it again for us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David, he takes some poetic license. And he changes the metaphor for us. It goes from the the scene of the pasture and a sheep to now a table. It's a feast from the field to the table, and it is an abundant table. That there is oil, and that there is cups overflowing, everything you need. But notice that this table is in the presence of our enemies. It's in the presence of trouble. Amid trouble, David is saying, the Lord will and can and does abundantly provide for his people. And that there is an enemy. And the enemy is to be contrasted with your shepherd. The enemy, Satan, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Your shepherd has triumphed over him in the cross. As Martin Luther put it, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Whereas it says in the answer to Heidelberg question one, he, Jesus, has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. In Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is this love that you and I can take deep confidence in? What is this reliable love? How do we know this love will never change? Well, it's there in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy is one way you can translate the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed is God's steadfast love, his covenant love. It points us to the covenant that Christ secured with his own blood. 
bringing a people to his father. Rebellious, wandering sheep are brought to the table. And because it is a covenant paper with the blood of the good shepherd, that privilege is never revoked. You will never be asked to leave. He will never let you go. Be reminded this day, in the face of fear, there is a covenant love that holds you. Be reminded this day, in the face of frustration, your Savior will lead you in paths of righteousness and in loneliness. He is nearer to you than you know. The psalm begins in verse 1 where it says, I shall not want. And it ends with the promise that we will be in the presence of the Lord forever. And David wants us to hear, and the Lord is speaking to us through his word, not only will he provide God and protect but he has everything that we need. Let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing on the preaching of God's word. Would you join me in prayer again? Our great God and Savior, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you impress your promises into our hearts and mind that we would walk and live in confidence that we have been rescued from the valley of the shadow of death, though we deserve to be left there. Lord, I pray for the person right now facing fear that they would know a greater confidence in the gospel and cross. I pray for the person facing frustration that you would help them to trust your sovereign plans. And for the lonely, that they would know an intimacy with their Lord that they didn't know before. We ask this all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.